I want to not suspend our apostolic church uh, study. I'm going to pick that up again as it was designed um, next Sunday. But this Sunday for today, I just thought it would be appropriate for us to just take a pause and let me introduce the Holy Spirit because he's a part of what we need. I don't know about you, but if 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 um, 2020 was supposed to be a year of vision or new vision, I think I need another prescription. I, I'm not getting it. I'm not seeing it the way it probably needs to be seen, but it's been an interesting kind of roller coaster for many of us. And there's so much of life that is going on, and thankfully it is going on. You know, J.D., uh, is scheduled for a surgery. Uh, he's got a baby coming. Those are things that are the stuff of life, right? You know, life is still happening. People are getting married. People are having children. Uh, people are getting pregnant. Maybe we're home too much. I don't know. But there's, uh, you know, there's all these life things that are happening, that are occurring. I got phone calls this week of people who uh, are, you know, one's facing a surgery, a major surgery this coming week. Um, two, two moms uh, are both very sick and, and um, need God's intervention. You know, the stuff of life just continues to happen. People are starting new jobs. People are dreaming about new jobs. People have lost their jobs. And in the midst of that, there's just all this stuff that has been swirling around and I suppose that an election year just kind of magnifies everything. But let me just say that, you know, to be human, there's always good and bad news. Things that you like, things that you hear about, things that you don't like. How do you manage that? How do I, how, how do we as Christians who are people of faith, how do we manage uh, in a healthy manner uh, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, the fluctuations and all of that? I want to take you to um, John chapter 14, verse number 27, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. Before I do, I, I, I just want to kind of set it up this way. Um, we're in the remnants of a Judeo-Christian value system or country, country founded on Christian and Judeo-Christian values and ethics and we have the remnants of that. We've gone some generations of people discarding that, but virtually our understanding of right and wrong, the things that enrage us, the things that excite us or make us thrilled, a lot of them have to do with what we've learned to expect from Christian life and behavior, which goes all the way right back to Jesus. So I just want to start with Jesus for a moment and just say, if I, I love Jesus, and, and he has been a, a great friend and wonderful Savior to me, and I recommend him to you. If you've never accepted uh, Jesus as your Savior, you really ought to. I mean, it's, well, the way I say it is if, if you have two functioning brain cells, always use them to accept love, you know? And Jesus is the epitome of love. And the epitome of the expression of God and love. And um, yet, I'm not sure that all these years removed that sometimes we might sort of idealize Jesus and, and um, you know, what it would be like to have known him. 
I'm going to tell you, I don't think that you'd be disappointed in knowing Jesus as he really is. But I think that there were times that the disciples were very frustrated. Let me give you an example of one of those times, just before we jump into John 14. I was thinking about this earlier in the week, actually a couple of weeks ago. The Lord brought this, this occurrence to my mind. Uh, you can find this story in Luke uh, 13, uh, around verses 1 through 11, something like that. Um, some people, we're not sure who, was it the disciples, a crowd. Some people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, did you hear the news? They brought a report. It's kind of like media coming to him. They brought, there was a report brought to him, and they said, did you hear about what Pilate had done to the Galileans? So apparently what had happened was that there were some Jews who were in Jerusalem at the temple, and they were getting ready to offer their sacrifices and Pilate just ordered, he just said, ah, just kill the Jews along with their sacrifice. You know, just throw them all in the fire after you've slaughtered them. I'm sure there had to have been some soldiers say, Pilate, are you sure? And, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go ahead, kill them and throw them in there. That, that's huge news. That is, that is bad news. It's really, really huge by anyone's standard. That would be, a, you know... So they came to Jesus and, and they said, did you hear about that? And what they're really asking is, how should we think? Or do you care? Or, you know, like you're talking about the kingdom of God, but we're still stuck here on the rock, you know. What, how are we supposed to process that? And Jesus famously looks at them and said, I say unto you that unless you repent, you shall also likewise perish. Like just when they needed a word of comfort, he gave them something else. How? I mean, like that's classic Jesus being led by the Spirit. And, and we look at it and say, like, even by our standards, that's not cool. By our standards? Excuse me. Our standards have been skewed by the fall and our sin and our sinfulness, our own self-interest. And Jesus was actually very accurate. I think that what Jesus was saying is, guys, this is why I'm telling you about the kingdom. And this is why I'm getting ready to release you into the world because life is a life and death issue. And there are things at stake here that are a matter of life and death. And life and death is happening every day. And people are going to an eternity unprepared. So you stay focused on this. In other words, that's news, but it's not the good news. We've got good news to give to people. God loves them. He sent Jesus. He was going to die on a cross. He was going to forgive their sins. He was going to adopt them into his family. He was going to share his relationship with his father with them. That's, that's actually good news. It's life-changing, and, and it always does. It changes life, lives, everywhere it's tried, everywhere it's proclaimed. You know? So that's, like the, the big, that's the big news. What happened was bad, and unfortunately, it shakes us to the core. But now Jesus did something one further, and it's, it's, it, it, it's comforting to me because it lets me know that he knew the news. 
which, by the way, I personally have blocked out all news from Monday. You know, from Monday till, till today, I, I heard that we have a new president. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, the, the truth of the matter is I probably don't know much more or less than you do, and I haven't looked at the news all week, you know. So the thing is, the thing uh, that I'm trying to point out is that Jesus understood the news because he upped the ante. He said to them, or did you hear about those 13 Galileans that the Tower of Siloam fell on <coughs> and killed them all? I mean, he obviously knew the news. But he then says again, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. I don't know if, I mean, like, to me, that's like uh, Jesus is kind of raw and unplugged there, and it's like you sort of want to put your hands over the kids' ears. You know, the children say, don't listen to what Jesus is saying right now, (laughs) you know. But he clearly understood the time that he was living in. He didn't have his head stuck in the sand, but he wasn't focused on what was going on. He was focused on what the Father was saying. He was focused on what the Father was doing. So he came to do that. All right. So that's just a little bit of foundation for understanding Jesus when we look into John um, chapter 14. I should also remind you there was a storm incident when Jesus was uh, fast asleep. He had had too much pizza and the other guys were doing the hard work of rowing to shore and the storm comes up. And Jesus is still sleeping, you know. And um, they, they, they said to him, don't you care? They woke him up. Don't you care that we're perishing here, you know? And obviously, Jesus cared more than they knew. He gets up and rebukes the storm. Then he rebukes his disciples. How do you sleep in a storm? How do you handle bad and good news altogether? Okay, here's how you do it. In John 14... Jesus opens up and gives us a glimpse. Now, he's just told his disciples for like uh, two, three chapters now, he's told them he's leaving. This is all happening after Lazarus had been resurrected, which was kind of like the high point. Like for the people who hated Jesus, that was it. This guy has got to go. For the people who love Jesus, it's like this is ultimate. You know, like what... A God who can feed 5,000, a God who can raise people from the dead. We're going with that one. That's pretty good, you know. So he was like at the high point and the low point. He was at the high point of those who loved him. He was at the rejection point of those who, who didn't have the love of God in them. And so he pulls his disciples aside. It's like one week and he'll be crucified. They don't know that. So he starts preparing them for that. And he's told them that he will be departing. In John 14, verse number 27, while this is all going on, the dinner is over and Mary has come in and all that, you know, and um, verse 27, love it. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. He didn't say, you guys need more faith if you had more faith you'd have more peace what he what he is saying to them which by the way I just interrupt myself for one second and and just remind you that the reason we get anxious and the reason we get afraid the, the real reason is because we're looking at a future that's uncertain 
I wonder, even just in this room, how many people have ever dreaded something? Something huge was coming up and you were dreading it. Maybe it was a, a lawsuit. Maybe the, the imminent loss of a job. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a divorce or whatever. How many of us have feared that something really bad was going to happen and our anxiety level went through the roof? And uh, I, I was, I'm sure that's all of us. I'm sure that's all of us. But now looking back on it, are you still afraid of it? No, because you're never afraid of the history. You're, not, you're never afraid of what you've already lived through. You're only afraid of what's yet to come. So it's in that moment when Jesus is helping his disciples because they're trying to get their head around what does it mean when he's leaving and, and he's going to be back and how does that work and how is he leaving, where is he going, when's he coming back, how is he coming back. It's in that that he says to them, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So, first of all, he's saying, he's not saying you should have more peace. Like, there were times when he's rebuked his disciples and said, you should have more faith. The faith that they should have was in him. He was disappointed because they didn't trust him. They had been with him. And they were getting to know him. And I just got to go out there on a limb and say, Jesus, I love you, man. But I, if I were one of those early disciples, I, I'd be right there failing right along with them. Because I, you know, I've struggled through my own life right now. And I already know the end of your story. They didn't know the end of your story. Right? I would have struggled, I'm sure. He's not saying to them, I want you to try to look deep inside and find more peace. I don't know if you know, but that's impossible to do. When you're anxious, you can't just say, all right, th today I'm going to have more peace. <laughs> by the way, by peace... I, I know that we've talked a lot about shalom and how what that means. This is not that kind of peace. This is the kind of peace that you have like when there's a peace treaty. So like when, when, when uh, the Palestinians and the Jews are struggling over the Western Bank, they're struggling and struggling and wrestling over this whole thing, they don't trust each other. They mistrust each other, understandably. I've been there. I've seen with my own eyes how difficult the situation is. It's, it's deeper than you can realize and recognize. It's not as easy as, why don't you stay on your side and you stay on your side? It, it's a little like the kids who you're expecting adult rationale from, but they have so much childishness and hurt that they just can't think adult you know so if the two of them were to suddenly find a peace agreement and sign it which by the way I've been told by Palestinians that will never happen because 
There is no one who speaks for the Palestinians, absolutely. No one has that kind of authority. No one has the right to, for the Palestinians to say, I will sign your piece of paper and we'll have peace. So there's a non-starter to begin with. But, but, but just suppose that the two of them were able to sign a peace a treaty. Now, <clears throat> you know, the walls could, could literally come down and... People could go on with their life without worrying about a shell or a bullet or whatever coming their way, and, and they can go outside and enjoy their backyard and their picnic because they have peace. This is exactly what Jesus is trying to tell them. He says, I'm going to give you my peace. Guess what? The biggest conflict known to man is not between Palestinians and Jews. It's between us and God. But Jesus was already from the heart of the Father. He was at peace with his Father. He was not struggling with him. He was not striving with him. He was not living his life recklessly. He was living under the love of the Father. He had no fear. He had no fear of the Father. He had no fear of death. He had no fear of anything. He knew exactly what was going on, and he knew exactly what would come. So when he says to them, peace, my peace, I give to you. And then he says, it's not the kind of peace that the world gives you. Now, I've got to give you like a spoiler alert here. We have not addressed this church, this issue in the church well for clearly 20 or 25 years. And I think it's because it was done so poorly in other days. But there is an adversity. There is an odds. There is um, an angst. There is a conflict that is in this world that is called the world. The conflict is with God. Uh, as a matter of fact... Uh, Verse number 30 says, I will not speak to you much more, but the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. He wants you to understand. He wants us to understand that there's a world that God loves and there's a world that hates God. It's not two, it's not two different people groups. It's actually two different things. There is a world which is people. It's global and God loves them. But there's a world system that is anti God, which is why some of us have said in this last election, it's not really about which personality or which party, it's actually about which worldview is going to come forward. And we're going to have to watch that one, folks. I'm going to tell you that the worldview that has been trying to come forward since the 50s and the 60s is really very anti-God. I'm not saying that Joe Biden is that. I'm just saying that there is a worldview that is being espoused. Actually, I'm going to tell you it's an indoctrination. Now, here's some good news, just before you want to just jump out of the earth, you know, is that uh, the greatest two institutions for change that has ever been, has been the family and the church, in that order. So, so you don't have to indoctrinate your children. What you do is you just share the truth with them. You raise them together, family and church, the two of them hand in hand, 
and uh, the kids survive the indoctrination period. I, I'm not saying that it's harder or, you know, it's more difficult or it's easier than it's, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, my childbearing years is behind me and now it's grandchildren and, and I love it, but I can see the, the pressures on the kids that, that, are, that, that are here, you know. And the problem is, is that when you grow up in an indoctrination system, you don't know you're being indoctrinated. So I'm just going to warn you that there is a world system that is anti-Christ. It's anti-God. I'm not sure if that's a spoiler alert, but um, we, need to, we need to be working with that. So in this chapter, six different times, Jesus talks about the world. In the verse that I've shared with you, he said, it's, this is not the kind of uh, peace that the world gives. This is the kind of peace that I give. Let me just explain the kind of peace that the world gives. It, the kind of peace that the world gives is when there's an, absent, an absence of conflict, when people stop competing and, and, and fighting with each other. I'm just going to tell you that human nature, unless it's guided by the Holy Spirit, is uh, pretty much selfish and um, you know, very, very much uh, self-centered. So when we sing a song like Jesus is the center of it all, I don't know if you know that, but that is a revolutionary concept. You're in a revolutionary church this morning. We're teaching a concept that is anti-establishment and it is anti the world system. It is standing against all that and aligning with Jesus. And my heart has this home court Advantage, you know, my heart easily aligns with the world and the things of the world and all that this offers. And I'm not saying give all that up because there's a better day coming. The church has just not navigated that question very well. But I want to tell you that the church has been silent on the issue that there's a world system that is anti-Jesus. It is anti-everything that the Judeo-Christian value and ethics system stands for. So that being said, Jesus is going to say, hey, good, I've got some good news is that like if you hang with me on this one, I'll give you my peace. And when the world's peace collapses, you won't collapse. Right? That was actually the big point right there. I'm, it's downhill after that. that. That's the big point. The big point is that uh, when everything, when the kingdoms of the world and the earth and everything is shaken underneath of you, Literally, fire and flood, and all the things that comes to our world. Once, all, when those things happen, and everybody who are invested in that world system, after it all comes down and it all collapses, the believer's heart is anchored to something that is eternal and cannot be shaken and will not be shaken. So. I'm, I'm just going to say it this way. If your guy won, congratulations. If your guy didn't win, don't lose heart because, you know, these things change every four years. And I'm going to tell you, the church has long, many years, just put all of our hope and faith in electing just the right person. And we've been disappointed every time. I'm telling you, there isn't a right person that has 
an answer. Jesus is the right person. He's the one, you, and, you know, you already have him, all right? I, I just want you to have a little more of him. That's all. I, I want us to have a little more of us, of him. So when he says, my peace, I give it to you, he wants you to know that his peace has a name. His peace is not an emotion, which is what you and I are looking for. I'm looking for something like I can't sleep because I'm all emotional and anxious and whatever and fearful, whatever. And Jesus could lay down in a boat in the middle of a storm and go to sleep. I wonder if the disciples had not woken him up and the ship had gone over. Would Jesus say, hey, what's going on here, you know? I mean, you know, uh, or was he laying there with one eye open watching them the whole time? I don't know. We don't know exactly. All we know is that when Jesus was awakened, he got up and rebuked the storm. I suppose that if he went in the drink, if he got washed overboard or something like that, that he would still rebuke the storm and climb back up in the boat. I don't know what would have happened, but I, I, I know this, that the disciples were not able to rescue Jesus. Jesus said, if you stick with me in the boat, you're going to be fine. You're going to get to the other side, no matter what it looks like out there. So the point that I, I want to share with you is that just earlier to this, in verse number 16, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever because you guys are I, I'm no I'm here three and a half years and I'm gone and I'm sorry about that I didn't tell you that in the beginning you wouldn't have followed me if I would have told you that I'm only here three and a half years and then I'll leave okay so I wanted to show the father to you I wanted to teach you how to have faith in him I wanted to come and die for you but you're crying and moping and complaining and discouraged and depressed because I told you I'm leaving. Well, guess what? I'm going to give you another helper. That's pretty cool. I mean, we could have been just alone. In verse number 17 says, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. I want to stop for a second and just say, at the beginning of the pandemic, do you remember say, me saying that this is one of those times like the truth would set you free? If you only knew, if we only knew what the truth really was. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit's name is truth. <laughs> Holy Spirit, how do I know I can trust you? He points to himself and says, it's my name. <laughs> I'm truth. And I'm here to help you. Okay. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. By the way, this is classic Jesus speak. When he says the world doesn't know him and doesn't see him? Guess where the Holy Spirit was when Jesus was saying that? On him. How did he know that the world could not see the spirit of truth? Because Jesus was standing in front of them, and they couldn't see that he is the Son of God. They couldn't see past the skin, couldn't see past his humanness. 
And then Jesus would say something like this. He said, um, if you don't believe me, then believe the words that I have are from the Father. And if you don't believe those words are from the Father, then at least believe the works. So what Jesus is saying is that he was carrying the Father's word. But at his baptism, he was filled with the Spirit. So the Spirit and the Word came together in Jesus. I'm going to just tell you, if you read John with the right lens, you're going to find out that this is all about understanding how God could bring his Word into the world and confront evil, confront darkness, confront the God of this world and shine light on it. We get kind of stuck at Christmas time, and I suppose this year would be no difference. It's there's always a little baby, and it's just, well, how can you, you know, I mean, like, my little tiny granddaughters get excited about a baby, you know. You know, it's, it's, it's like just natural, you know. Who can't get excited about a baby? What's less exciting is when that baby grows up and becomes the savior of the world because... Now people are not arguing with a little baby. They're arguing with Jesus. And um, so he's saying um, to them, okay, and uh, the world can't see him, so the world doesn't know him. But you have seen him. And I know Philip or Thomas or someone had to say, I don't, I don't, I don't know Jesus if, I, if I've seen him. And that's where Jesus would slap them on the shoulder and say, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that Jesus is the same as the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit dwelt within Jesus. The Word of God dwelt within Jesus. The Word of God became flesh and came and dwelt among us. So let me just back up for one moment and just say this. Here's what I've been learning. It's taken me three and a half years, but I've, uh, in these last three and a half years, here's what I've learned, is that when I am not just reading, but let's just say meditating on the Word of God or praying it, better, you know, is praying the Word of God. When I, I am taking the Word of God in, when I'm wrestling over the Word, when I'm taking the Word to Jesus and saying, I don't get this exactly. Tell me how this works. You know, when I'm wrestling and once, you know, he wins and I give up and I take it in, I bring it into me and then I start praying it back to him. I start praying his word back to him, like in the Psalms and things like that. When I start taking his word in and it begins dwelling within me, when I read the gospels and I see the testimony of Jesus and it starts dwelling within me and then I see the book of Acts and people who, after Jesus had left, they're still doing the same things that Jesus was doing. When I take a look at all of that, I start to say, hmm, there's something to this word that is like almost real, almost like personal. And when the Holy Spirit well, I'm facing something, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to forge ahead. The Holy Spirit will suddenly illuminate one of those words that I had stored inside of me. Rarely does the Holy Spirit just come and say, 
Hey, Rich. And I say, what? I want to talk to you. About what? I mean, it happens. It does happen like that. The Holy Spirit led me to some jokes, and I, I just had to read them because it was fun. But anyways, sometimes those kinds of things happen. But most often, when I need a spirit of truth, when I need a word, something that brings peace, something that brings me above the fray and above the anxiety, when I need that word, the Holy Spirit will breathe on something I've already brought within me and already accepted. I think I shared with some of you that one day I was here and praying in the sanctuary and all of a sudden God began to speak and it was so clear. Like, I don't need to hear an audible voice because it was as clear as I needed. I mean, you know, and I'm like, who's in my head? And I, I did ask the question, well, who's like, who's it? Is this the father? Is this the son? You know, and, and, and I know that they were laughing. You know, the father was just laughing at me, but but I was trying to figure it out, and here's what I've come to realize is that when God speaks to me so clearly, it's when the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, highlights or breathes on or reminds me or calls up a verse that he had already uh, given to me or I had already brought into me. And now, suddenly, I've got a word. Amen? I don't need to hear an audible voice from the Lord time and time and time again. No. No. So, I will not leave you as orphans, verse 18. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That little while, when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he was gone. When did he come again? On the day of Pentecost, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was back. I'm not saying he's not coming again. Of course he is coming again, bodily, physically. The world will see him. But what Jesus was talking about in this exchange right here is that we would not be left alone. The Spirit of God would dwell within us. And the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth, and he would highlight God's word to us. And when we need it, he'll give us a word, and it'll bring us to a place of peace because the peace that Jesus gives isn't an emotion isn't a feeling, it's a person. The Holy Spirit is our peace. Would you please stand with me? He's been called advocate. He's been called intercessor. He's been called the comforter. He empowers. He imparts. And I just love the fact that when Jesus breathed on his disciples after his resurrection, I love the thought that immediately the Spirit of God entered them. And everything that Jesus had bought and paid for at Calvary was activated. 
And yet Jesus talked to them about meeting the Holy Spirit in the upper room. The first time the Spirit comes is to give us new life and empower us to live as Jesus lived. The second time the Holy Spirit came was to empower us to take this message to the world and to share it. So that the same power, same spirit that rested on Jesus would abide within him. Brothers, sisters, anyone watching or viewing this morning or at some point in the future, I just want to look at you and tell you, Jesus was not playing games. He said straight up, in a little while you'll look for me and I'll be gone. But in a little while longer you'll see me and I'll return. But just before that he said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. Which means that this is him, his way of saying. I'm not talking about when I return to judge the earth. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth. I know that we're a Pentecostal church and we put a lot of stock in the work and the life and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you something. I have never appreciated the Holy Spirit as much as I do right now being the Spirit of Truth that dwells within me. The one that guides me, the one that leads me, the one that keeps me together. The one that helps me when all the world is giving way around me, when everything is shifting and shaking and people are panicking and jumping out the window. I just don't feel the need to panic. I just don't feel the need to panic. And I know that a lot of people are panicking today. This country is as divided as it's ever been, maybe more so. I'm going to just remind you, I just asked you to do two things, and I thought they were from God. The first thing was to pray. The second thing was to vote. And we've done that. Now I'm going to say, peace the Lord leaves with you. His peace he gives to you. It's not as the world gives that he gives to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Because the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's your peace. That's your gift. That's what Jesus was talking about. I'm going to leave you my peace. Boom. Holy Spirit. And he's given to the church. He's given to us. And so Jesus kept his word now I pray that we would keep our word 
We've given our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've prayed, we've cried out, we've called out. We've worked, we've labored. We've wept with those who weep. We've mourned with those who mourn. We've rejoiced with those who rejoice. Now may the church get up and move forward. Following the Spirit of God and getting refocused on what we're supposed to be focused on all along. May Jesus be the center of it all. May Jesus be the center of everything. Father, I pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would take us from here and breathe life into us. Our children will be fine. Our grandchildren will be fine because Jesus is Lord. And the Spirit of God has been given to us to lead us, to guide us, to help us. Please, I'm not saying don't ever vote again. <laughs> we, yeah, we need to vote and keep on voting, you know, but... I'm telling you, there's no reason to jump out the window. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is with us, and he is God's peace. So don't be shaken. We're going to look at you and say, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus is with you by his Spirit. Amen.